And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not a Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For every one that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest, that they are wrought in God. We know the Lord will bless the reading of his word, but keep your Bible open at that chapter because we're going to refer quite a bit to it, especially at the start of this message. But let's pray again. Father, thank you for your ministry already in this house. Thank you for the table that we've gathered around. Thank you for the Spirit speaking even these words to us this morning. We thank you for your own precious word. Now take it, Lord, and wing it to every heart, Lord, those that are listening near and far, and those of our CET family, whether they're here or away, we pray your blessing to be upon them. And, oh God, we pray you'd refresh them again. Glorify the name of the Lord Jesus, we ask it. Amen. You know, even when the Spirit gave an interpretation there by Pastor Arne, and he talked about the letting go of the world, and being challenged of those things. Even in some of our verses, that's what the Lord was speaking of. Darkness and light. Men who love darkness will stay in their darkness. of their. That's what their heart loves, the darkness of their sin. And those who love the truth will come into the light. And that's what we've done. We've come into the light. So he that believeth is our title this morning. And I sort of was thinking about this when I was, as I said, sitting uh, in Spain. And I was thinking about it and... It was just, I think it was the song came to me first, He that believeth hath everlasting life. And I started thinking about he or she that believeth. And the one who believes in the Lord Jesus Christ, we know we're saved. And I started thinking about that belief. And it's not only that they're saved, but it's that their works follow after them. There's a, a sanctification of life after that. There's an obedience to the word of God to follow on, to know the Lord after our initial belief in the cross work of Christ. Now you notice this, whenever we look at this, we're going to do it like a bit of a study here. In John chapter 3, verse 14, the Lord says, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have eternal life. And I was thinking about this, and this is the crucified Son. Moses lifting up the serpent in the wilderness when the Israelites were uh, bit by serpents and poison was killing them. The poisonous bite was a type of the sin that man and woman has. And Moses was told to put a brass serpent upon a pole and to walk through the camp of Israel. Remember, there was maybe up to two to three million people there. It'd be like walking uh, from one end of Northern Ireland to the other, walking through that camp nearly. Northern Ireland only has what? 1.8 million people in it. 
There was more in the camp of Israel than there was in our whole wee country. Think about this. And they were all dying from this serpent bite. And, it was, and Jesus says that, uh, that his crucifixion being lifted up between heaven and earth on a cross, he says that it's, it's likened onto Moses with this uh, bronze snake on a pole. And the Lord says, whoever would look at it, that is in belief on this, would live. And so the poison would not kill them. The poison would be eradicated and the Israelites would live on. And so Jesus now comes and says, as it happened then, so it will happen now. Only it's not a brass serpent. In fact, they started later to worship the serpent. That is the bronze piece, uh, the piece of brass, as if it had some, it was a relic to them. Jesus says it wasn't in the relic. It's the faith of what God said in his word and what it represented. And so he says, but I, I am going to be lifted between heaven and earth. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man also be lifted up. Then he says, so we're speaking of Calvary. We're speaking of the cross work of Christ. Then he says in verse 15, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish. So here we have the crucified Son. Notice, believeth in him. Him. Believeth in him. Speaking of himself, whosoever believeth in him. Verse 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not a son into the world to condemn the world but that the world through him, notice, in him, through him might be saved. Jesus himself is centralizing salvation in himself. Do you see this? We're told there's a, a many ways around religion or religions to, to be saved or to enter into heaven or some sort, of God, some sort of kingdom of heaven. And Christ himself says, whoever believes in him, in him, in him, the crucified son, and then we have the only begotten Son. So it's in Him, the only begotten Son, the, the one unique Son of God. It has to be in Him. And then He says in verse 17, it's through Him. It's only in Christ. And, and in our world today, uh, the believe, easy believism gospel is that, well, if you say you believe Jesus, Jesus uh, uh, saves you, and that's enough. An easy believism gospel is you can say that and go and live how you like. You can go and sin as you want. You can go and be like the world and live like the world and live as the world. And yet even in our reading, even as it was already said this morning, an interpretation of the spiritual, uh, 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 the spiritual tongue this morning, we are told what? That God strives with you to not be like the world. Yet we have uh, ministers, we ha- have different pastors, we have Christians uh, who, who think it's, it's okay to live like them because we're being like them. And brothers and sisters, Jesus is telling us something completely different. And we're being told that we have to accumulate. I know, here we go, banging it on. He's banging his drum again. It's the right time of year to bang a drum, isn't it? And, and, 
and he's banging on again, he's banging on again, he's going on and on about ecumenical, because it's rife. It's not about healing other people. It's about truth. It's about the difference between darkness and light. And if Christ isn't centralized and first and have the preeminence to do with our salvation and our day and daily living, then brothers and sisters, we're off, we're way off mark. It's not Christ plus. We'll look at that more tonight for this evening. I'm going to speak on the finished work. This came first, then the finished work came from this. And notice this. We have the only begotten Son, so it's on Him. Believeth on Him, He says. Secondly, on the only begotten Son. Here He's now starting to develop who Him is. Believeth on who? Jesus, on Him. But He's speaking of Himself. Then He says, then it's believing on the only begotten Son. The one and only unique Son of God. And then He says, In verse 18, he that believeth in him is not condemned. But he that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Then he furthers it on. We have the crucified Son, the only begotten Son. And then thirdly, here in verse 18, we have the glorified Son, the exalted Son. Why? Because here he speaks of himself. Islam says God has no son. Jesus never said that God has a son or that he was the son of God. Well, here he says it. He that believeth, she that believeth, he that believeth on him, on who? The only begotten son is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Jesus, he says, I am the only begotten Son of God. For the life of me, I don't know why people can't see this. That he is the only, one and only, unique Son of God. Notice, In our reading, we have a perishing world. Now, the word world would need a study in itself because it's different again. We'll do that another time. We have a perishing world in contrast to a great and glorious, to the great and glorious immense love of God. Think about this. A perishing world. Now, before Jesus came, before John the Baptist came and heralded that Christ was coming. 400 years had passed before God had even spoken again. 400 years. And the word hadn't heard from God. 400 years and Israel dispersed and only a remnant of Judah. Where is our God? 400 years and the darkness was getting greater. See, when I think about this, it gives me heart. Do you know why? Because sometimes it's so long when we think of the mighty revivals that we've had in our land. 
Pentecostal flame that burned across the nations. When I think of the Reformed truths that went out, and I think of it all being watered down, and it all being dispersed, and it all being degraded, and when I think of this, and I think of the sin, and the heathen in the land, and I think of the, the atheism, and all the Satanism, and all of those things, the humanism, and the socialist Marxism, and all that that's coming in, and I see the darkness encroaching, and encroaching, and encroaching, and encroaching, closer and closer, and it seems as if it's getting greater. It was like, Israel of old, it's, it, it, they hadn't heard for 400 years. All they could go on was the scriptures of the old covenant. That's all they needed. That's all they needed. And I see that happening in our nation today. I see that happening in the church today. And I see it getting worse today. But listen, they hadn't heard for 400 years and suddenly... There was great revival. Christ came on the scene again. I believe that's what's going to happen. I believe God's going to pour out His Spirit again. I believe God's going to open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing again. I believe he's going to let the darkness get so dark that we'll realize our contempt toward him and our sin and our own depravity. And I think, I believe that, uh, that he's going to, he's going to break in the, the light into the darkness. Just like Christ coming, a light into a darkened world. Notice, we have a glorious, immense love of God. In the midst of all that darkness. For God so loved the world. That he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish. But have everlasting life. And you know on a, on a large day morning like this. Uh, some folk think you know well. Should this not be a gospel message for the unbeliever. I want to tell you something brothers and sisters. I love prophecy you know that. I love it. It thrills my heart. I love bringing uh, messages to try and encourage the church on. But there's nothing cheers the heart like the gospel message even to the believer. There's nothing to refresh us for what Christ has done for us. I'm walking out the doors this morning knowing you're saved, knowing you're blood-bought, knowing you're blood-washed, knowing you're forgiven of all your sin, knowing that he has you in spite of you and not because of you, and that he loves you with an everlasting love. Sure, what greater thing is there to know, brothers and sisters? What greater thing is there to know that God loves us? So first of all, we have the manifestation of God's love uh, 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 when Christ comes into all this darkness. The manifestation. In 1 John 4, verses 9 and 10, John tells us, and this was manifest the love of God toward us. I think it's beautiful. God's love was manifest. Not just a, well, here's my love, see it? No, toward us. It gives the idea, it comes pros toward, means face to face to come toward it means that someday in our life and in our experience, when we were all in our own place, in our hearts and our minds, and in our lost estate, in our own depravity, at some place, point in time, and you know when and where that was, the glorious gospel shone a light on the cross of Christ. 
And there was the manifest love of God toward us. Never forget the day I was saved. I'm not religious, I'm saved. I'm saved. I'll never forget the day I was saved and Ms. Post McConnell preached and he preached the word of God with passion and with power and he preached the cross of Christ and I've seen him but the eye of faith was like the light shone again on the cross and for the first time I beheld the Lamb of God that took away my sin and oh what glory what beauty what love Toward me. And you can say, I seen it toward me. And this was manifest the love of God toward us because that God sent his only begotten Son into the world that we might live through him. Isn't that beautiful? So we, we can read that and just it's like, it's like sliding down a, a slide. You know, you're way past it and it's gone. But no, he sent his love, the manifested his love toward us. His only begotten Son hanging on a cross, bleeding and dying for us, uh, that you and I, who have been quickened by the Spirit and awakened and are made alive unto Him, that we would behold the Lamb of God that's burned away our sin. And not only that, that we then might live through Him. And our depraved, lost estate in in the, the fleshy, carnal, deathly men and women that we were. Listen, brothers and sisters, there's absolutely nothing Nothing that you have done. Absolutely nothing that you could have done. That you would be saved of your own merit. Everything. Every single thing. I can't emphasize it enough. Is Everything is from his sovereign will. It's his sovereignty. I choose God. How can the dead choose anything? We're dead in trespasses and sins. We're separated from God. We couldn't choose anything. I couldn't pick God. Brother, he chose me. And he chose you. He placed and he set his love upon us that he would bring us the glory. Notice that we might live through him. Verse 10 says, Herein is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us. And whenever I try and get this into my my dense, thick skull sometimes, my, into the this gray matter you know, it swirls around like a bucket of fish. <laughs> when I know my life before I get saved, I know. I mean, I have a, I have a, a life where I get saved. And, 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 I, and I hear it, and I'm not proud of it, and I detest it. But I'm forgiven of it. But when I think of me and some of the places I was in and the darkness of those places and the evil in those places and the men that I sat with in those places and the things I did with those people in those places. 
And yet he still loved me. That when I was yet a sinner, Christ would die for me. Christ didn't say, clean up your act. See how you get on and I might, I might save you. Not at all. He looked at a, a filthy, rotten, stinking, hell-bound, broad-roaded wretch like me, depraved and without hope, and he said, I love him. Don't ask me why. Please don't ask me why, because I can't tell you why. I'm just grateful he did. He done it with you too. Now, when we were enemies to God, in other words, when we were, weren't saved, you're an enemy of God if you're not on, if you're not saved. And when I was yet a sinner, Christ would die for me. And when I was in those places and getting up to those things and and being that person that I was, that Christ had already paid my debt. Think about this. The mind of God. You ready? I know some people will flip their lid and skid up the road on it. Listen. In the mind of God. When I was like that, in his mind, I was already saved. I just didn't know it yet. I just didn't know it yet. I just hadn't come to the cross yet, you see, and it was in his place, point in time, he drew me by his spirit. He drew you by his spirit. And that day we heard the glorious gospel of saving grace. Found in Christ, the Holy Spirit gave us uh, 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 that, uh, that renovation of the man. That he made us alive unto him. Brought me from death unto life. And there I beheld, you beheld, the Lamb of God. Christ died for me. And I believed. Not because I could believe it. He gave me the faith and the ability to believe. It's all of him, brothers and sisters. Everything, it's all of him. He that believeth. Notice, herein is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins, the, the mercy seat for our sins. He is merciful. And not only is it the manifestation of God's love, but there's the intention of God's love. Intention of God's love was to redeem, to save. The angel says, Thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. That was his intention. Jesus shall save, not he might save, he will try to save, or he'll do the work and see if they'll accept him. No, he shall save. He came with the intention of winning the loss that the Father had given him. And I'm one of them. And you're one of them. He came to save his people from their sins. He came to save the elect from destruction. He came to save his own from wrath and from perishing from hell and from a lake of fire. So there's the intention of God's love. And then thirdly, there's the duration of God's love. 
I think this was also mentioned this morning. I think. Either that or I've just been living in this going around my head and I thought it was said. In Jeremiah 31 and 3, the Lord says, Yea, I have loved thee with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness have I drawn thee. I love you. I love you. So John chapter 3 and verse 15, we have, He that believeth in him should not perish. Notice, I notice, so we don't perish, but we have eternal life. And in John 3, 16, it is, Whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And in John 3 and verse Right at the end of the chapter, 36, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life, and he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. Now notice, here we have eternal or everlasting life, and perishing, eternal, everlasting life, uh, and the wrath of God. Now, I may be wrong, but if I am, may I be forgiven. But I don't hear too many of the NAR churches preaching these things. The New Apostolic Reformation. Wrath. It's all about the love, love, love. Absolutely, we've, we've heard it, haven't we, this morning? God's people, he loves us. the wrath? What about the perishing? What about damnation? Condemnation? Will you turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 2 just for a couple of verses please? First Peter chapter 2 verses 6 and seven. Wherefore also it is contained in the scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he that believeth on him shall not be confounded. Now, now we're talking about Old Testament scripture here. Peter said, quoting Old Testament scripture, Believeth on him. This is in the Old Testament. You see, all, all, all of those from the 400 years of not hearing from God to John the Baptist, they had it all pointing and pointing, he's coming, he's coming, he's coming, and 400 years elapsed and he hadn't come from the very last voice. Notice, and he that believes in him shall not be confounded unto you therefore which believe he is precious. But unto them which be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same is made the head of a corner, and a stone of stumbling, and a rock of offense, even to them which stumble at the word. Being disobedient, whereunto also they were 
appointed, but ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Notice what he's saying here. And he's speaking to strangers that are scattered abroad. He's speaking to scattered Israel initially here. And you know what he's saying? It's written in the Old Testament scripture. Christ is the one that was to come. Christ has now come and we look back at what he's done. And this is what he's saying here. He says, look, unto you therefore which believe he is precious. Now, don't get me wrong here. Christ is precious to me. He's my life. I know Christ is precious to you too. But that's not what it means here. Unto you therefore which believe he is precious. The idea in the original text is this. As precious as Christ is to his Father. You ready? As precious as the only begotten Son is to his Father. So you in Christ are as precious to your Father as he is because you're in Christ. As the Father looks at his Son, I love him, my only begotten. Now, since we are in Christ, we've been washed in the blood. We have been filled with the Spirit. And since we are in Christ, the Father looks at us as though we're him. He that believeth. Unto you therefore which believe, he is precious. He's saying, you're as precious to your Father now as he is to his Father. And you might say sometime, does God love me? Has God forgotten me? How can he? How can he? Can he forget his son, the Lord Jesus Christ? Not at all, never. And so because you and I are saved and blood washed and repented of our sins and we have the Holy Spirit on our lives and we are seated in Christ. And when the Father looks at me, all he sees is the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, I'm a, I'm a weak, watery failure. I am, I am, I am, I am. But he doesn't see that. He sees the perfection of his son. Do you hear that? The perfection of Christ. Now, please don't get me wrong here. Please follow this. Please follow this. Don't get me wrong here. I am not saying, so because he sees Jesus, I can go and do and live and and be who I want to be and what I want to do and live like the world and be sinful. No, 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 friend. That's not what I'm saying. Because if you have Christ, you'll want to live like Christ. So he says, unto you therefore which believe is precious, but unto them which be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same has become the head of the corner. And a stone of a stumbling and a rock of offense to them which stumble. What do they stumble at? The word. Think about this. You go on one of the radio broadcasts and phone in some of these debates some morning and, and start quoting them scripture. You know what's going to happen? No, they'll stumble at the word of God. Oh, you can talk about characters and you can talk about their backgrounds because they love to hear the gossip of it and they love the bad news about it and they love all the nitty-gritty stuff. They love all that sort of stuff. I see bad news brings in listeners. They love that. But once you start to say, well, this is what the Word says, they stumble at it. 
I stumble at the word. Notice what he says. They were also, were unto, also they were appointed. Are you reading that? That's all action too. You get it? Oh dear. The glorified spiritual bottles will be thrown at me after this one, won't it? B O T T L E, not B A T T L E. Notice, but ye, but ye, but ye, all of ye. <laughs> All of ye, as we say, but ye are a chosen generation. <laughs> You're a chosen generation. You're not a I chose Jesus generation. You are a chosen generation. Listen, I'm a royal priesthood. Eh? A holy nation we are. So, David Guzik, on John 3.16, I I wrote it down. And if you have a pen, you can write this down. Listen to to how he breaks it up. I thought it was pretty good. For God full of the world. So let's see. God, he writes, the almighty authority. So love the world, the mightiest move. That he gave his only begotten son the greatest gift. That whosoever the widest welcome believeth in him the easiest escape should not perish the divine deliverance but have everlasting life the priceless possession. Isn't that beautiful? Whosoever believeth in him And then it's in verse 17, through him we might be saved. In verse 18, he that believeth on him. In him, through him, on him. Now Jesus said those words, speaking of himself. Here's what Charles Haddon Spurgeon says, you ready? To believe on him means to heartily give yourself up to him and to follow him as the way, the truth, and the life to you. Rejecting all rival confidences, the heart leans on Jesus all its weight and leaves him all its burdens. Believing in him, we repose all our concerns for time and eternity in his hands. To believe in him is to believe implicitly. Charles Haddon Spurgeon. Coming to a close for this one, I may do another one for other things I've written down. What I had written was the uniqueness of Christ in him, through him, on him. The uniqueness in his relationship with the Father. The uniqueness in his relationship with mankind. And the uniqueness with his reconciliation between us both. 
separated from God. And here he is, the love of God manifest, takes as it were the hand of the Father and the hand of the sinner. And in Christ we are reconciled back to God. He is central on the, on the earth. The cross work of Christ. The tree of Calvary. He is central in heaven. The crown of glory on the throne. The prophets spoke of him. The apostles preached him. And heaven surrounds him with worship. He that believeth. Believeth is the word pistule. To entrust one's spiritual well-being to Christ. So I'll just ask. Have you entrusted your spiritual well-being to Christ? That's what it means. Pistule. Comes from the root word pistis. And it means faith. That's where we get the word faith from. A conviction of truth or belief with trust. Listen. And a holy fervor born of faith and joined with it together. We're convicted that he is the truth. We're convinced that he is the only saviour. And we're compelled to follow on after him. Finish with this thought. This is what I wrote after all of that. Do you really believe do you really believe brothers and sisters the day is approaching and is and is at hand when listen the minister or the pastor will have to take their stand when the politician please don't laugh at this one when the politician will have to take their stand now listen when the teacher will have to take their stand. I know of teachers here. When the doctors will have to take their stand. When nurses will have to take their stand. You know why? Because what's going to happen is doctors are going to be asked to do abortions. If you're a Christian doctor. Teachers are going to have to be, have to be put on curriculum to teach same sex. They're going to have to be about, they're going to have to be taught about transgenderism and all of these things. And if you're a Christian teacher, you can not teach it. If you're a doctor, you cannot perform it. If you are a pastor and they come in and say, we are two men or we are two women, you cannot perform the service of a marriage. It's not a marriage. You cannot do it. He that believeth, she that believeth, they'll not only believe unto salvation, but to go all to know the Lord and to stand true in his word. No matter what society says or does, the nurse. All of society, the Christian. It's going to be led on us. It's going to be led on us. What would you do, pastor, if the commander says, we want you to marry us two men? I would ask them where their wives are. Simple as that. And if they said no, marry each other, I would show them where the door is. That's not to hurt them. That's to stand in the truth. 
He that believeth, have we a conviction of the word over the compelling of the word? Once said again, he that believeth, she that believeth, have we a conviction of the word over the compelling of the word? Have we a belief birthed from faith resulting in a holy fervor? Do we really, truly believe? God bless his word to us this morning. In the name of the Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen.